Chapter Sixteen of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen, The Go Devil. I want a wagon," scowled Van Horn. "There's one down at Gorman's place. He won't need any more. There's some baled hay down there too. Take the men you need. Load what hay you can find on the wagon." and hustle it up here too stubborn to ask questions and only starting after many hard words with which all the ground of the morning quarrel and much more was traversed stone took two men and started reluctantly for gorman's he spent a long time on his job but came back as directed with the wagon loaded with hay the wagon was not much to view it looked more like the wagon of a man that spent more time in sleepy cat saloons than on his ranch a rack equally old and dilapidated had been set on the running gear the pain had long since blown off the wheels and one of these a front wheel had lost a tire on the rough trip up the creek but the fellows hung to the spokes and the spokes to the hub van horn inspected the outfit grimly with half a dozen men he set quickly to work, and under his resourceful ingenuity the wagon and hay were speedily turned into what would nowadays be termed a tank. Only lack of hay kept him from making a mobile fortress of it. By means of wire he slung along the sides what baled hay he could spare, and with much effort to avoid exposure the armored wagon was dragged over the roughest kind of ground to the north and west of the cabin from this direction the ground fairly smooth sloped from a ridge fringed by jutting patches of rock directly toward the cabin itself and eager hands made the final preparations to smoke henry out with the load of hay set ablaze and the wagon run down against the cabin, the defender was bound to be driven from cover or burnt. When the bustling, contradicting, and confusion finally subsided, the wagon was stealthily pushed over the ridge, the hay fired, and the blazing outfit, christened a go-devil, was started with a shout down the slope. If there existed in the minds of those that talked least a lingering suspicion that Dutch Henry was still alive, it was soon strongly justified. Before the wagon had rolled twenty feet, the challenge of a rifle shot from the cabin answered the attack. Everybody dodged quick, but no one was hit, and a yell of derision rose from behind the rocks. With ropes borrowed from the men that carried them and knotted together, the wagon was kept under partial control, and the line, as paid out, served in some measure to guide it. On it went, accompanied with shouts and yells. From the threatened cabin came no answering defiance. Henry's case looked bad as the wagon rolled down on him, but his rifle fire, though seemingly wasted, answered unflinchingly. Stone danced with joy. He'll be running the gauntlet next clip. He's not hitting anybody. He must be shooting, yelled the excited foreman, at the blamed wagon. A steady fire, undismayed, did continue to come from the cabin. Van Horn, who had run to the extreme right of the new sector and was keeping a close watch on the go-devil, was the first to perceive trouble. Hell's delight, boys, he cried, taken aback. He's shooting up the wheels. 
The words flew around behind the rocks. The rifle fire was explained. Every eye was turned to the danger point, the wheel without the tire which, as the wagon wobbled, was unluckily exposed to the cabin fire. It could easily be seen where the deliberate marksman was getting in his work. He had knotted one fellow off the rim and was hitting at the spokes. It began to look like a race between the burning wagon and Henry at bay. The hay was a mound of flame, and sparks and smoke shot high into the air. A hundred feet more would lodge the fire-trap against the rear wall of the cabin. But under the steady pounding of a rifle that seemed never to miss its mark, the injured wheel showed fast-increasing signs of distress. A second fellow was tracking uncertainly. As a diversion, Van Horn, active, energetic, and covering every part of his little line at once, ordered an incessant fire centered on the threatened cabin. Nothing seemed to check the regular report of the hidden high-powered rifle and the bullets that were splintering the old oak spokes. When the roaring wagon struck a loose stone or rough spot in its trackless path, it wobbled and hesitated, yet jerked steadily, halted and started by means of the long cable it rolled to within twenty feet of its mark there it pitched a bit recovered and for another ten yards sailed down a smooth piece of ground the cowboys were yelling their loudest when a lucky shot from the cabin knocked off a second fellow a second and third shot smashed rapidly through the spokes of the staggering wheel a threatening boulder lying to the right of the wagon's course could not be avoided. The men on the line jerked and swore. It was useless. One side of the wheel collapsed. The front axle swung around, and the blazing wagon straddled the troublesome boulder like a stranded ship. The men guiding heaved too on the line. It parted. The cabin stood safe. At once the rifle fire from the cabin ceased. No taunt, no threat could draw another shot from the silence. Chagrined, eyes flashing, silent in his defeat, Van Horn, contemplating the last of the burning wagon, and watching the cabin as a dog baffled watches a cat on a fence, was let alone even by the most reckless of his companions. For the failure no one tried to bait him, nor were he and Doubleday ready to quit. They got ready a circle of fires to block any attempt made to escape the beleaguered place after dark. This proved a difficult undertaking, both because fuel was scarce and because the deadline drawn by the rifle fire of the wary defender extended a long way in every direction around the log refuge. The night, however, was fairly clear, and a pretty good moon was due by ten o'clock. The fires were lighted, not without some sharp objection from the cabin, the moment darkness fell. The difficulty, then, was to keep them replenished and maintain an adequate guard. Dark spots and shadows fell within and across the circle around the cabin. Van Horn ordered a rifle fire directed into these places, it was placed so persistently that when the moon rose, the besiegers felt pretty confident Henry had not escaped. And just before its light had penetrated the narrow valley, the invaders had a cheering surprise when the wounded man, nicknamed the Snipe, 
crawled from his hollow between the lines back to his comrades and told them in immoderate terms what he thought of them for leaving him wounded and thirsty under the enemy fire volunteers inspired by his abuse crawled out to the second man that had fallen in the morning and by really heroic effort got him back into the draw badly hit he was given long-needed attention the first man shot through the head the rescuers reported dead when midnight came the men had been fed and the watch well maintained a steer interned earlier had been cut up for the men's supper and van horn and doubleday were seated together before the campfire near the creek eating some of the reserved chunks of meat when a hurried alarm called them up the draw the cabin was on fire nothing could have happened to take the besiegers more by surprise there was hasty questioning but no explanation of all the possibilities of the night none could have been so unexpected but whatever the cause and theories were broached fast the cabin was ablaze smoke could be seen pouring through the chinks in the roof and little tongues of flame darted out at the rear under the eaves though there was not a breath of air stirring the roof within fifteen minutes was in flames and the cowboys confident of victory set up indian fashion their death chant for dutch henry the old shack made a good fire the roof collapsed and with the incantations of the cowboys the stout walls worm-eaten and bullets splintered falling gradually blazed on the jig's up here boys announced van horn as the fire burned down the two biggest thieves on the range are accounted for it's a good job if i guess right you'll find the dutchman in the fire yankee robinson's next he won't put up much of a fight but the hardest man to get is still ahead of us this was a boy's job beside rounding up abe hawk he'll never be taken alive because he knows what's coming to him there's not a minute to lose now stone and i will take two of your men barb and round up yankee robinson from there we'll ride over to abe's place on the turkey about our only chance is to catch him before he's up if he's got wind of this we'll have a hell of a chase to get him feed the horses the rest of you eat and we're off you can follow us with pettigrew and the bunch doubleday just as soon as you look the cabin over after daylight within half an hour van horn and stone and the two men crossed the creek rode into the hills and disappeared into the night setting a watch doubleday and his men curled up on the ground when earliest dawn streaked the sky the logs were still smoking and the cowboys rifles in hand walked down to where the cabin had stood everything within the walls had been consumed long after daylight with some of the men asleep and others waiting for the fire to cool one of doubleday's cowboys poking about the sill log of the rear wall with a stick gave a shout what had been taken for a half-burned log was the charred body of a man the invaders gathered and the body was presently declared by those who knew him well to be that of dutch henry there was nothing more to detain the men that were waiting the cowboy worst wounded had started with a companion for home 
the snipe insisted on going on with Doubleday. The horses had been left in good grass a little way down the creek. When they were disturbed, it was found that one was missing. A hurried search failed to recover the horse. While the trackers were at work, the snipe, always alert, found a clue that upset all calculations. It was a small, dark red spot soaked into the dust of the creek trail. It was very small, such as might have been made by a single drop of blood. But one such sign was enough to put on inquiry a man versed like the snipe in mountain craft. Keeping his discovery to himself, he tracked back and forth from his single spot, almost invisible in the dust, until he found a second similar spot. This he marked, and dodging and circling like a hound on a scent, the snipe ran his trail through his first tiny spot to the trees near the creek where the horses had been left. Doubling, he patiently tracked the tell-tale spots up the path that led to the cabin. Then he called to Barb. Doubleday, much out of temper, was in the saddle waiting to get started. He bawled at the snipe, and not amiably. "'Keep cool,' was the answer. "'I'm a-coming. But look here before you start. There was two men in that cabin, Barb.' "'What are you giving us?' blurted out a cowboy. Doubleday stared ferociously. "'There was two of them, boys,' persisted the snipe. "'You must have seen double when you was running,' was the skeptical suggestion of another man. But Doubleday listened. The snipe took him from the cabin down to the creek, then back to the cabin. There he showed him where someone had dug what might have been a hole under the sill log near the door. A horse was certainly missing. Then shells from two different rifles were picked out of the ashes. One size had been fired from a Winchester rifle. The others, much more numerous, belonged to a Marlin. "'Who was it, Barney?' asked Doubleday, breathing heavily. He was so wrought up and so hoarse he could hardly frame the words, but he was already convinced. The snipe shook his head. There's two or three fellows up here shoots a marlin rifle. If I got one guess on this man that's made his getaway, Barb, I'd say, the snipe poked further into the ashes. Well, say, thundered Doubleday. I'd say it was Abe Hawk. End of chapter 16